You've done it again, Brother Alex. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for bringing us into the presence. How many people agree that without praise and worship, everything else is useless after that? If you don't have praise and worship, you might as well just call it quit and go home and eat dinner. All right? Praise and worship opens the door and puts us right in the Holy of Holies in heaven. Because our Heavenly Father said we should come before him boldly. Boldly. He said, by the new covenant way, by the blood of Jesus Christ and with flesh which was crucified. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. The name above all names. The name at which every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. We enforce the name of Jesus Christ in this place tonight. By the blood of Jesus Christ. We take this place for the kingdom of God right now. Father, we thank you that your word goes forth tonight like a mighty giant river. Unhindered by any demonic spirit. Father God, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know the hope of your calling. The true riches of your glorious inheritance in us the saint. The exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. According to the working of your mighty power. Which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead. And seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, might and dominion. Every name and every title that could be given or conferred. Not only in this age and in this world. But also in the age and the world which are to come. Father, we lift up America to you right now. And we say peace to this country. Devil, you cannot have America. America is God's property. And no amount of looting, protesting, racism shall take this land from the hand of the living God. So we speak peace right now to our leaders. We speak peace to the north, peace to the south, peace to the west, peace to the east. Shalom in Jesus' name. It is well with America in Jesus' name. We will have the most peaceful election that has ever been held in America. It will not go to the Supreme Court. There will be a landslide victory for one candidate over the other that it will be the most peaceful day on November 3rd. Everybody said amen. 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 So shall it be. So shall it be. We decree it right now and so shall it be. Amen. It will be the most peaceful election. We will know the winner even before midnight. It will be so landslide that there will be no, we won't worry about cheating, looting. People will just say, okay, well, I guess we know the president. Let's go home. That's it. In Jesus' name, we decree it. And so shall it be. Amen. 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 Brothers, I am so excited to be here with you this, this evening. And the spirit of the living God is here with us tonight. We've been speaking about the book of James. And I love the book of James because we are having internal intelligence. The writer of the book of James is our Lord's stepbrother. He's our Lord brother. They grew up together. So everything addressed in the book of James were things that were discussed in their house. It was things that... Brother James saw very closely with our Lord. So it's a very, very insightful book and very, very practical book. 
We've been going through the book of James from chapter 1, and now we are in chapter 4, and we are discussing chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. And I will read my introduction, as we always do. Is there anything in your life competing with your attention and devotion to God? Could the pursuit of position, power, money, or status be so consuming most of your time that it compromises your focus? your attention, and your devotion to God? Do you find yourself with shifting priorities where you are spending more and more of your time on something or someone else other than your first love, Jesus Christ? Do you find yourself giving reasons, excuses, why you are, un un why you are unable to read the word, meditate the word, pay your tithe, attend church services, or fellowship with your home group friends? If you have answered yes to any of the above questions, James has a stern warning for you in tonight's scripture. So James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and he has been watching the members of his congregation at Jerusalem, and he was starting to notice that their enthusiasm, their fire, their zeal, their attention, and their devotion to God has been sliding. It was cooling off. And to get their attention, James used a shock and horror statement to get their attention. And let's see what James said. James said, ye adulterers. Can you imagine you go to church and the, sermon, the pastor get on the, on the pulpit and the first word out of his mouth was to say, ye adulterers. Call his congregation adulterers and adulteresses. That is a very strong word for a pastor to speak. I've been going to church all my life, and no pastor has ever come up on Sunday morning and called me an adulterer or adulteresses. So for James to use these words, he was trying to really let it sink in into his audience that something is going on in this church that he personally did not like, and neither does God like it. So he said, in James 4, 4 to 5, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy? So who is an adulterer? And again, if you missed last week, we are going to give you some context before we we add any more material today. So when we are talking about adulterers, we are talking about a Greek word called moikos. Moikos. What does it mean? It means a faithless person, someone that is faithless toward God. So why did James use this term? Why is he so specific? Out of all the verbiage you could use, he used the word adulterer. Because he knew that his audience, most of them being Jews, we are very familiar with the Torah and the Old Testament. And he, and, they, and he realizes that in the Old Testament, God likened his relationship with the children of Israel to a marriage. He likened his relationship to the children of Israel as a marriage. And those who relapse into idolatry in that marriage are considered to commit adultery. So in the Old Testament... God refers to his children. They are kind of like his wife. He said, I am your husband. 
So James used that term because he knew anyone that relapses and serves any other God other than the Most High God, the Living God, is committing adultery. So he, ca he called them an adulterer. If you look at Isaiah 54, 5, Isaiah 54, 5 said, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole heart. If you look at Exodus 34, 14, it says, You must worship. You must. There is no compromise. There is no wiggle room. You must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous. How many people here know that one of the God's name is Jealous? Do you know you could actually pray to Jealous? The Most High God is known as a Jealous God. He's actually called Jealous. That's one of his names. He said, whose very name is Jealous? He's a God who is Jealous about his relationship with you. You see, God is very jealous of anything that steals your attention away from him. Look at your life right now. What are you spending most of your time on? If I were to look on your checkbook, on your check register, where is most of your money going? If I were to take a catalog of your time over the last 24 hours to 48 hours, where is most of your time going? If you could see an x-ray of your brain, your thought waves, where is most of your mind dwelling? If it's not dwelling on God, then there's an indication there might be a relapse. You might need to take an inventory. If something else has occupied your, t your life, that you spend most of your time thinking about it, you dwell on it, you spend your time on it, you talk about it. You spend money of it. You spend a lot of money on it. More than likely, that thing might be an idol. I'm not saying it is, but it could be an idol. Then you also, James also used another word, another very strong term. And that term is adulteress. And that word is moikalis. It means the same thing as an adulterer. It's someone who is faithless toward God. But James used it because it's a more appropriate terminology for the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, the church, which you are now a part of, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the church, we are the bride of Christ. You see, Christ is the groom. We are the bride. Let's say that together. I am the bride of Christ. Never forget that. Look at Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. So you could see the, similar, the simile used there. Husband, the head of the wife, Christ, the head of the church. So in the New Testament, Christ is the husband. Just like God is the husband in the Old Testament. Look at what James 4.4 says in the Amplified, Amplified Classic. James 4.4 4 in the Amplified Classic says, You are like unfaithful wives, having illicit love affairs with the world, and breaking your marriage vow to God. That is a very potent statement. And that's the way God sees it. Whenever you're spending your time, your energy, your money, 
your thought process, your focus, your devotion, anything other than the things of God, you are having an illicit love affair. That is God's perspective on it. Whether you like it or not. It's not my own opinion. It's in the Bible. And by the way, anything I speak today will be from the Bible. I will not give you my opinion. We will just go from scripture to scripture. And by the way, why did God, why is he using the term of a marriage? Why is he talking about a marriage? Why did he say, I am your husband in the Old Testament? And in the New Testament, Christ is the groom and we are the bride. Why is he using that metaphor? Because in a marriage, what distinguishes the marriage from any other relationship? What distinguishes the marriage from any other relationship? To become one? Unity? What's that? Fidelity? And I will add one to it. And all those are correct. Fellowship. Fellowship. It will not be a marriage if the husband does not fellowship with his wife. Right? So guess what God wants more than anything else from you? Your fellowship. Your affection. Spend time with God. Wake up in the morning and say, Heavenly Father, I just love you today. Don't be religious. Forget about Counting beads, and I'm sorry if you are a Catholic. I went to a Catholic school in Africa, so, you know, I've, I've, I've been part of Catholic myself. But speak to the Lord. Talk to him. Lord Jesus, I love you. Let it be something you do while in your car, when you sit on the throne, when you're at work. Just say, I love you, Jesus. Utter words to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I love you. You're precious to me. You will never leave me or forsake me. Thank you, Father. When you go to a meeting, speak a word to him. Father, I commit this meeting to you. Talk. Have conversation. Because there is no fellowship without conversation. Can you imagine you go home tonight, you don't say hi to your wife, you just go straight to bed, you wake up tomorrow, you get up, you go to work, never say hi to your wife, you come home at night, you never say anything to your wife, how many people know you won't be having a wife? <laughs> you will not be having a wife very soon. So fellowship. You see, God loves you. He cares about you. And he wants more of you. He loves you more than you will ever think. He's not going to condemn you. He knows everything you're doing. Just go and tell him. Tell him. Don't hide from him. Just say, Father, I'm struggling with this problem. This is my area of struggle. I am addicted to this. I'm watching pornography. I'm struggling with pornography. Be very open and transparent with the Lord. All right, brothers? Whatever is bothering you, tell it to the Lord. And don't forget about being religious. Don't say these and those. And just talk to him like you're talking to me or I'm talking to you. You will find out your Christian life will be more refreshed. And it will reflect more power and the grace of God. Then James said, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So 
So what is he talking about when he talks about friendship? Friendship in Greek is philia. And what does it mean? It means a fondness or affection. Fondness or affection. It is a term used to describe very close friends. Like in the Bible, a very close friend was David and Jonathan. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. How will you describe a friend of the world? Because remember, James is talking to believers. These are people that have expressed belief in Christ. And he's addressing them. And in his mind, he's looking at them and thinking, some of you are becoming a friend of the world. He was probably not focusing on them because he doesn't want to embarrass them. But in his congregation, he was looking at some believers that were really astute in their belief. But now they are becoming a friend of the world. Who is a friend of the world? Might you be a friend of the world? Might you be someone that was once on fire for the Lord, that praises the Lord, worship the Lord, read the Bible, meditate the word, but now you are a friend of the world? How will you know if you are a friend of the world? What is, the, what is that journey like? A believer that was on fire for the Lord, now he's a friend of the world. Let me give you some context of what, of what a friend of the world looks like. A friend of the world is someone who has consciously and intentionally decided to choose the world system over God's system. So there's a level of decision there. A friend of the world is someone who has consciously and intentionally decided to choose the world system over God's system. And when we are talking about the world system, we are not talking about nature, the beautiful trees and the grass and the birds and the sea. We are talking about systems. The education system, the entertainment system, the justice system. And we know the world is controlled by a small God, small letter G, God, whose name is Satan. Satan controls the world system. So who is a friend of the world? What does it look like? A friend of the world is a Christian who has slowly, slowly drifted back into the world. That they now have a sense of connection, a sense of camaraderie, a sense of familiarity, plus a sense of obligation to their worldly friends. A Christian who has slowly drifted back into the world that they now have a sense of connection, a sense of camaraderie, a sense of familiarity, plus a sense of obligation to their worldly friends. And the Bible gives us some examples. Last week we talked about Demas. Demas was an assistant of the Apostle Paul. The man who wrote through thought of the New Testament. Demas used to be his right-hand man. But at one point in time, Demas said, Paul, sorry, I can't go on with you. 
I'm going to Thessalonica. Thessalonica at the time is like New York City. It's like Las Vegas. So Demas told Paul, I love what you're doing, but you know what? I don't know if I want to go that far. I don't want to go, I want to go that too deep with you. You are taking too much risk. I don't know. I want, I, 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 I'm not comfortable with that. I want to go and make some money. I want to go play with the beautiful girls. I want to do something else. So Demas left Paul and he went to Thessalonica. Another person was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was the chief financial officer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the chief treasury officer. He controls the money coming in, money going out. And at one point in time, he went to the Pharisees and the priests. And he said, how much will you pay me if I betray the Son of God to you? A conscious, intentional decision. He said, Jesus, I thought you were the king. I thought I was going to be an official in your kingdom. But now you're talking about dying. So his dream was dashed. He didn't see any beyond the crucifixion. Because Jesus was talking about him dying. And his hopes were dashed. And he said, well, you know what? If I can't really get that position of power I was really seeking, I'm going to make some money out of this deal. He went to the priest. And he said, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? An intentional, a conscious decision. Do you know how long Judas processed that thought? It was in his mind. He was stealing money from the treasury. And he got to the point, one day he woke up and said, you know what, today is the day. I'm going to leave Jesus and I'm going to go betray him. Maybe you're at that point. Maybe you're at the point right now, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost something during this COVID environment. Maybe, maybe the enemy has gotten to you and planted some seed of doubt about your faith in you. And you're saying, you know what, I'm going to leave my church. I'm kind of sick of this church anyway. I'm going to go find me somewhere to worship. This whole Christian thing is just, I've had it. I'm just leaving. I'm done. I'm done with the whole Christian deal. I was having more fun when I was in the world. I'm quitting. Maybe you're at that point. If you are, the Lord has brought you here tonight. It's not a coincidence. He's saying, son, I love you. Do not leave me. I shed my blood for you. Don't go. Don't leave. It will not work out if you do. I love you. Come back. Come back. Come back. We also saw Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, they intentionally and consciously lied about the sale price of the land. They lied to the apostles. So just to give you an example, that is what a friend of the world looks like. Another thing James was trying to tell his audience was this, friendship with the world and friendship with God are mutually exclusive. You cannot do both. You are not that cool. You are not that smart to pull it off. You can't be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. You have to choose. You have to choose who you're going to serve. Let's look at some scriptures to back that up. Look at Matthew 6.24. Matthew 
Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, says, no one can serve two masters. No one. It is mutually exclusive. He said, you can't do it. No one can serve two masters, God and Satan, or worldliness. And if you see Satan or worldliness, you see that? Because Satan is the God of this world. When you go and be a friend of the world, you are shifting to the kingdom of darkness, who the Lord of is Satan. No one can serve two masters, God and Satan, or worldliness. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot be going to the nightclub, drinking it up, smoking it up, dancing it up, robbing the girls on Saturday night, then go to church on Sunday and say, Oh, I love the Lord. I love you, Lord. And I give my... You are joking. You are kidding yourself. You can't do it. You can't say, well, I'm going to go to the business conference in Las Vegas, and I'm going to do everything that comes with Las Vegas, and have the good old time with the good old boys from the office, and then Sunday, hey, how you doing, brother? God bless you, brother. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, and you played that religion. You are not fooling God. The only person that's fooled is you. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have to make up your mind. Then look at what he says. You cannot serve God and mammon. And in parenthesis, you cannot serve mammon, meaning money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. You cannot do it. Look at what the Holy Spirit said through Brother John. 1 John 2, 15-17. Don't set the affections of your heart. Remember? Philia, friendship, is fondness or affection. You have to guard your heart, brothers. Don't give your heart away. Guard your heart. Watch what you are fondling with. What are you fondling with? Because whatever you are fondling with will eventually fondle you. And you won't like it. You won't like the result. Don't set your affections of your heart on this world or loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. They are mutually exclusive. They are incompatible. You can't pull it off. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who love to do the will of God will live forever. Another reason why you don't want to mess with the world is this. There is no return on investment. How many people like to put their stocks, put their money in stocks, and you get zero back? When you fondle with the world, you get zero. There is no eternal value. It's a waste of time. The only thing you're going to take with you, and I love young people here, you might be looking at us old people and saying, well, you know what? I have a long time to make my, to make my mind up. No, you don't. The only thing you will take with you is what you do for God and what you do for your fellow man. Everything else is a waste. 
The only thing you will take with you is what you do for God, your obedience to God, your service to God, and your love and your care of your fellow man. Those are the only two things that's going to be worth anything when you get to the other side. Everything else, garbage. So why would you want to spend your time, brothers, on something that has no return on investment? Why would you want to spend your energy on something that has no return on investment? It is stupid. And tonight is a day of transition. It's a day of repentance. To say, Lord, I'm changing my mind today. I'm going to put you and make you number one. I'm going to cut off the umbilical cord to the world. I'm going to let you take care of me. I'm not going to be worried anymore. You are my God. You are my father. You are my husband. You are my groom. I am your bride. I give my life to you. Take me over. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me and guide me. Use me. James 4 verse 5. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? That's a powerful statement. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So what is the Holy Spirit's feeling and response when we begin to love the world? The Bible says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, lost it. Normally when we talk about lost, we are talking about something that is morally wrong. Something that's morally wrong. But in this case, that word lost it, epipothea, epipothea in Greek, it, means, it describes the intense yearning that the Holy Spirit has toward us to have us entirely and completely for himself. So when you are messing with the world, the Holy Spirit is lusting after you. The Holy Spirit is saying, I wish you would come back to me. Eric, come back to me. Ted, come back. I want to have you. Don't go spend your time. Those people there, they don't love you as I love you. The Holy Spirit is lusting for you. Ross, why are you messing with the world? Come, come to me. Do you know the Holy Spirit lost it? But this good lust, this is not the lust of immorality. It's lusting for you. Then he said, he lusted to envy. What does he mean by that envy? Envy is pythonus, phytonus, phytonus. When he talks about envy, he's describing the emotions of anger, jealousy, and rage that a man feels toward another man who is trying to steal his wife. That is what that word means. That word envy describes the emotions of anger, jealousy, and rage that a man feels toward, toward another man who is trying to steal his wife. I'm sure all of us could relate to that. If your neighbor started messing with your wife, I'm sure you have emotions of rage, anger, jealousy. And what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is extremely angry and envious when a believer turns his devotion from God to the world. 
That's what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit lost tend to envy. He's extremely hungry, envious. And you know what? Sooner or later, he will release his rage and displeasure against anything in your life that is competing with your attention and devotion to him. You are so loved, you can't even fathom how much God loves you. He's not condemning you. He loves you. You see, the devil wants you to believe that because of what you did yesterday or what you did last week, God doesn't love you anymore. No. The Holy Spirit lost it to envy. He lost it to envy. He's sensitive to our lukewarmness. He doesn't want you to be lukewarm. Just come as you are. Come as you are. Right now, tonight, come as you are. Come back to the Father. His hand is open to you. He's saying, come on, I love you, son. I love you. He wants to give you a hug and give you kisses. Your picture, brother, brother Corn. Your picture is in his wallet. And he looks at you and he said, Corn, I shed my blood for Corn. I love you, Corn. Come on, brother. Amen. 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 The title of our message tonight is The Slippery Slide to Sodom. The Slippery Slide to Sodom. And it describes the journey of a believer who was once on fire for the Lord, his journey into the world. How could the chief financial officer, Judas, being close to Jesus, be the one to go sell him out. Akul Demas, the right hand of the most prolific apostle in the New Testament, leave him and go to Thessalonica. Akul Ananias and Sapphira that have seen the fire of the Holy Ghost fell upon 120 people in the upper room and in a few weeks were lying about the sale price of the land. What is that journey like? What will take a Christian to come from being on fire and be totally immersed into the world? We're going to look at a story tonight in the Bible from the Old Testament. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and Lot because I think it demonstrates what we are talking about beyond any other actual events in the Bible. So let's look at Genesis 13, 5 to 13. Genesis 13, 5 to 13. Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abraham and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abraham said to Lord, let's, now allow, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our hearts, man. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. I'll go to the left. Lord took a long look at the fertile place of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zohar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley 
to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abraham. So Abraham settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tent to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the law. I want you to focus on Genesis 13, 11 to 12. Genesis 13, 11 to 12. Lot parted with his uncle Abraham. He parted. That means he left Abraham. So Abraham settled in the land of Canaan and moved to a place near Sodom and settled. I want you to pay attention to Lot's starting point. Lot was living with Abraham. Who is Abraham? Abraham was the father of faith. Abraham is the friend of God. Nothing happens on the planet without God first discussing with Abraham. Abraham left Aran with Lot, even against the Lord's instruction. Lot was his nephew. Abraham, the father of faith. We are told to walk in the steps of Abraham's faith. And over a period of time, something happened. Where Lot became rich and wealthy. And he was enamored by what he saw to the extent he parted from his own Abraham. And what is this telling us? Sometimes the world will look so alluring and appealing to you that you will abandon the house of faith. Here is Lot that grew up with Abraham. He was mentored by Abraham. When Abraham built an altar and made a covenant with the Lord, with the Lord, Lot was there. When Abraham went down to Egypt and the king of Egypt took Abraham's wife, Lot was there because God delivered them. Everywhere Abraham went, Lot went. They were inseparable. But nevertheless, the allure of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, Brother Kerry, the pride of life, Lot was broke, poor, nobody. He became wealthy and he wants more wealth. And he decided to leave the father of faith and moved to a place near Sodom. He left the house of faith and moved to a place near Sodom. He left the church and moved near to the world. You see, he wasn't in the world yet, but he moved near to it. He made an intentional decision to leave the church and he said, you know what, I'm not going to go into the world, but I'm going to stay near it. And let's look at the impact of that on Lot. I want you to watch the progression of, of Lot's life. Let's look at Genesis 19, verses 1, 3 to 8, 12 to 14. And it's all in a, in a portion in your, in your scripture handout. That evening, 
the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. So Sodom, many bad things have been happening in Sodom. And God decided to judge Sodom. And he sent two angels to Sodom. So these are the two angels that we're talking about here. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. And when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread and made without yeast. And they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lord, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lord stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please, leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Meanwhile, the angels questioned, Lord, do you have any other relatives here in this city? They asked, get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lord rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. The young men thought he was only joking. Powerful scripture, isn't it? I want you to focus on Genesis 19.1. And I hope you have your scripture tonight. As Brother Chris said earlier, if you have your scripture, this will last more in you than if you do not. Okay? Genesis 19.1. I want you to look at this. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. And Lot was sitting there. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. In fact, that scripture is very powerful. Where did Lot initially move to? He moved to a place near Sodom. So what does this statement tell us? Now he is in the city. And guess what, brothers? Who are the people that sit at the entrance of the gate in the Old Testament? Who are the people that sit at the entrance of the gate? Judges, chiefs, they are the elected officials. The elected officials always sit at the city gate. For example, look at Proverbs 31.23. It's talking about the Proverbs 31 woman, the ideal woman. And it says, her husband is known in the city gates. And it sits among the elders of the land. So the elders, the city officials, always sit at the entrance of the gate. So why is this very important to this story? It means Lot, at some point, eventually moved from a place near Sodom into the city of Sodom itself. Remember, it came from the house of faith with Abraham, moved to a place near Sodom. Now it's in the city of Sodom itself. And not only did he get in the city of Sodom, he got involved in the economics, the business, and the politics of Sodom, and he soon became an elected official. He was elected. He became a chief among them. He became a city official, Brother Frank. 
miracle, Abraham's Lord, the father of faith, lived the house of faith and became a chief in Sodom. How could a believer that loves the Lord pay his tithes, worship and praises the Lord, and now is in the world and he has become a chief in the world? That is what's happening here, brothers. Look at Genesis 19.5. Genesis 19.5. Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. The city of Sodom, there is an English word that came from the city of Sodom. I'm sure you've all heard the word Sodomize. Sodomize came from that, from that city. And that is where Lot is living. Those men came and they want to have sex with angels. They want to have sex with another man. Homosexuality. Look at what the Lord says in Romans 1, 26-27. Romans 1, 26-27. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationship with men, women, bond with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with each other, and as a result of this sin, they suffer within themselves the penalty they deserved. Sodom was an homosexual city. And they were knocking on Lot's door. Lot, open your door. Bring those men out. So we could rape and have sex with them. How the mighty are falling. The mighty that was living with the father of faith, Abraham. And now living in the city of Sodom. Are you living in the world today, brother? Have you left the church? And you are so deep into the world because of more money? More power, more status, more influence, more recognition. And you've lost your first love, and now you are messing around in Sodom. Tonight is your night of change. Tonight is the night of repentance. It was not by coincidence you have come here tonight. The Lord brought you here to impact a change. Look at Genesis 19.7. Genesis 19.7. This is the word out of Lot. Please, my brothers. Please, my brothers. Lot has been so seduced by the seducing homosexual spirits of Sodom that he identified with the perverted homosexual men of Sodom and called them his brothers. You see, the world will finally have impact on you. You might say, well, you know what? Uh, I know what I'm doing. You know what? I'm just going to be there with them. I'm just going to do business. I know, I know who I am. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to go back to church. I'm just going to do this for a few weeks, a few days. They're going to pay me X amount of dollars. And you know what? We need that money right now because my wife wants to have another kitchen to the house, and we want to go to Hawaii, and the children need blah, 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 blah. The enemy will always give you a reason to go into the world. And Lot never wanted to go to Sodom. 
His initial intent was, let me move to a place near Sodom. I could see the Sodom County. It's a zip code away. I'm just going to stay right here. But sooner or later, he was in Sodom. Don't mess around with the world. Because once you cross the world, you are under demonic seducing spirits of the world. The seducing spirits of Satan. Demonic spirits are working on you. The moment you cross that line. It's not worth it. And Lot was so steeped in it, he's referring to the Sodomite as his brothers. How the mighty are fallen. Look at Genesis 19.8. Genesis 19.8. Look at the words coming out of Lot's mouth. The man that grew up with the father of faith. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. Again, Lord's mind has been warped, sodomized. His mind is no longer anywhere close to anything godly. To the extent he offered the rape, the rape of his two virgin daughters, as an appeasement to the Sodomites. How could a man of God that grew up with Abraham, so fallen, so deep, into the world that is offering the rape of his two virgin daughters to unknown, ungodly men. But that was never his intention. His intention was, ah, it looks good. The land looks good. We could double our cattle. We could make more money. Let's just move. We're not going to go right into Sodom because we know Sodom is bad. We'll just stay right outside of it. But now he's in it. Completely oblivious, clueless to the sudden impending destruction that was just around the corner for him and his family. And that shows us how believers often are clueless and they don't realize the condition of the calamity they are in. They are lost in the world. They are making more money. Maybe buying a second and a third house. A third and a fourth car. They are giving the spotlight and the recognition. They are taking the trophy home every day and saying, look, honey, they gave me another trophy. That's another Look at Genesis 19, 12 to 14. Genesis 19, 12 to 14. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in this city? They asked. Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, your sons, your daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy this city. But the young man thought he was only joking. He came into the city a highly honorable nephew of the great Abraham. But now he has so compromised himself, he had lost all influence that he cannot even convince his loved ones 
to escape an imminent danger. They thought he was joking. No credibility. No integrity. Because they're probably saying, Lord, who do you think you are? I know what you do. Why should I listen to you? We enjoy the same thing. We laugh at the same joke. We do all kind of illicit activity together. Who are you to tell me to leave Sodom? We make our money here in this city. We got rich together in this city. Who are you? Do you think you are not better than me? Who are you to tell me to leave this city, this city of wealth and riches? Brothers, I want you to know there is a cost for messing with the world. Even though Lot was not destroyed with the city of Sodom, but he lost a lot. There is always a price to pay when you mess with the world. Number one, Lot lost all his wealth. All those wealth and riches he gained, they all went up in smokes. I was in Israel 2012. I went to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the only place upon the earth you find the purest sulfur. And I brought some of it home. The purest sulfur. Because the Lord destroyed it with fire and sulfur from heaven. Fire and sulfur fell on Sodom and burnt everything to a crisp. You could still go there today. There is no other place on the planet that has a purer sulfur than Sodom. It went up in smokes. If you go to the world and you give your time in the world, you will have nothing to show for it. It will go up in smokes. You might enjoy it for a while. You might get the accolade. Hey, brother, we like you. you are, I'm going to take you to New York and meet our CEO tomorrow. We're going to give you another bonus. Forget the one we gave you last week. You are the best. You are like, you are like I mean, the best things in sliced bread. We're going to take you to New York. You're going to, you're going to go to the Waldorf Astoria, the best hotel in New York. We'll put you right there at the pinnacle of that building. You're going to bring about five or six girls to entertain you all night. You do whatever you want with them. You're the man. It will all go up in smokes, brother. I'm warning you tonight as a servant of the Most High God. And I'm speaking to some people here tonight that are about to make some critical decisions. The Lord is saying don't. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Turn around. Repent. Not only did Lord lose everything when up his smokes, he lost, he lost his wife. His wife died. On the way out, the wife was so enamored with, with Sodom that he disobeyed the instructions of the angels. The angel says, as you see fire coming on Sodom, don't look back. Run for the hills. But the wife said, oh my God, oh my God. And that is the last time she spoke. That was it. That was the last thing she said. She was just, she became a pillar of salt right there, frozen, dead. I said, that is not enough. When they got to the top of the hill and they saw Sodom was destroyed, a few weeks later, Lot's daughters had an insexual relationship with him, with their dad. His two daughters got him drunk, slept with dad. 
became a dysfunctional family. All because you want to go to Sodom and gain wealth. Lost the wealth, lost the riches, lost the accolade, lost the recognition, lost his wife. His daughters became dysfunctional, had children to daddy. You see the price? There is always a price. That's why the Bible said in Proverbs chapter 1, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The devil will have someone come make a deal with you. And you know what you say? No. And by the way, I'm leaving right now. Don't engage in argument. Don't try to psychologize because you cannot psychologize Satan. If sinners entice you, and they will entice you with something that will be appealing to you, they will entice you with promotion. They will entice you with double the pay. They will entice you with accolade, with power, with status. They will entice you with more wealth. All you have to say is two words. No, turn your back, get your car keys, and leave. If you don't do that, they will convince you. Let's look at Jude 23. Jude 23 says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy mixed with fear. But eight, they are very close, stained by their sinful lust. This is what God expects of you and I. If you know someone today, maybe someone that used to come to pubs regularly, maybe someone you used to worship with, and you haven't seen them, maybe someone that belongs to a Bible group with you, call them. Find out what's going on. If you find out they're on a slippery slope to Sodom, warn them. Intercede for them. Pray for them. Show mercy, but just not mercy, but mercy with, mixed with fear. You know what that means? Show them the consequence of their action. Don't just don't say, hey, you know what, well, it's okay, brother. No, no, no. no you know. Tell them, this is not going to end up well for you. Intercede for them. I will tell you the only reason why Lot missed the fires of Sodom was because Abraham was interceding for him. And you could read that in the Bible. You could read Genesis chapter 18. When the angels came, Abraham came to intercede for Sodom. God told Abraham, I'm about to destroy Sodom. And Abraham became, started interceding. He said, Lord, if you find 50 people there, will you destroy it? He said, if you find 40, will you destroy it? If you find 30, will you destroy it? If you find 20, will you destroy it? What about if you find 10? I wish he kept going and said, how about if you find one? Your intercession matters. Intercede. Intercede for fellow brothers. Intercede for your children. Because your prayer matters. Your prayer is how God intervenes in the lives of these people that are sliding to Sodom.
And I get a sense tonight, there are people here tonight that are convicted by what we are talking about on different levels. Our goal tonight is not to condemn you. Our goal tonight is not to chastise you. But our goal tonight is to show you mercy and love mixed with fear. We want you to know there is a heaven to embrace and there is a hell to shun. I don't want anyone here going to hell. I don't want, he, I don't want you missing your calling or your destiny. You are put on planet heart for such a time as this, Brother Noah. You are put on this planet for a specific purpose. The Lord has a plan for your life. Don't be enticed by the world, brother. The Lord cares about you. He has a plan for you. Things might not be going well right now. COVID might have screwed you up in more ways than one. But weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Better days are coming. The Lord is working on your behalf. Come back and come home. So we're going to make a powerful decree tonight, a powerful prayer, and I believe it will be the beginning of our intercession for ourselves and for other people. So I'm going to ask you respectfully to stand up, and we're going to close with a very powerful intercession. And I would like you to repeat this after me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit I respect I honor, I honor and I reverence your presence, and I reverence your presence in my life. In my life. I, am I am careful in the way I think, the way I, think. The way I speak, the way I speak. and the way I connect with the world around me. I will not grieve you, Holy Spirit, by allowing the world system to become a part of my life. Holy Spirit, you want more of me. And I want more of you. Please fill me now to overflowing with your presence. Holy Spirit, you are the top priority in my life. And I will never do anything that will make you feel wounded, grieved, or envious. By your help, and your power, and your power. I, promise I promise to live a life of holiness, a life that pleases you, a life that pleases God. I pray this, I decree this by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And so be it. So shall it be. In the name of Jesus, so shall it be. Amen. Amen.